Can your faith save you? The name Jordan Peterson may be familiar to some of us. He's a Canadian clinical psychologist, a professor of psychology. Over the last 10 years or so, we've seen his views, we've heard his views, his ideologies spread across the nation, spread across the world, from LA to the UK, all around Australia, all around the world. He's quite big on self-help, self-righteousness, self-knowledge. He professes, he doesn't profess to be a Christian, but he makes, it makes a lot of sense, some people say. He speaks common sense. This is what he said in a book, or he wrote down in a book in 1999. This is what he concludes about religious texts like the Bible. In his book, Maps of Meaning, he says the question for him is not so much about the Bible as, as just, he asks, can, can, can it help you to live well? Possibly. Yes. He says, careful, respectful study of the Bible can reveal things to us about what we believe, how we do, how we act. And yes, in one way or another, they can be discovered in some manner. That was in 1999. We fast forward to a couple of weeks ago on his latest podcast. After returning from mental breakdown, he'd been suffering with physical dependency on, on a drug. He'd been a, some people say addiction, but maybe more physical dependency. He says this, he's recovering, right? But on a podcast, he says this. The difference between mythology gods and Jesus was that there is a historical representation of his existence as well. Now you can debate, he says, whether this is genuine or not. He goes on to say on this podcast, we treat the story of Jesus like it's real. It's not the objective world, but objective and the narrative world touch, he says. And the ultimate example in principle is Jesus. It's supposed to be Jesus, he says. At this point in the podcast, he's coming to tears. He begins to say, say, he says, but that seems to be oddly plausible. But I still don't know what to make of this. This objective touching this natural world. He says, I don't know what to make of it, partly because it's too terrifying to believe it, to believe in Jesus, to believe that he's a savior. He says, what would happen to you if you fully believed it? Believe what? The interviewer asks him. Believe that both the narrative, the narrative, the stories about Jesus and the objective, the truth of Jesus that they touch Is Jordan Peterson saved? No. He believes in an idea of Jesus. In principle, that this Jesus coming from above, this sounds plausible, but believing it is too terrifying, he says. Is his heart warming to the gospel, the good news of Christ? Well, time will tell. Time will tell. Do you like the idea of Jesus? 
This God-man who has come to save sinners in principle only. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he died for you? Do you believe with all your heart, mind, soul, strength that Jesus is for you? Maybe you find it a terrifying reality. This can't be true. That he died on a cross. That you don't need to bring anything. You just bring your sins. Only your sins that you bring. His work is done. He's finished the work. See, Jordan Peterson is unable to see the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. Faith is the pathway by which the believer is linked to Christ and by which the objective truth, truth, the objective truth of the work of Jesus is subjectively appropriated to us. Believe in Jesus and be saved. But is it as simple as believing? Is, is that all we have to do, just to believe in Jesus to be saved? How do you come to believe in Jesus? See, this morning we want to look at what kind of faith saves. We have now reached the crescendo of what James has been saying all along. He's been talking about faith, if you've been following this. So let us read again James chapter 2, verse 14 to 20. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need, the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? See, if you see point one on your outline, faith that is not accompanied by works is dead. What is faith? The Greek word is pistis. It speaks of the conviction which is based upon hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It speaks of knowing a certain knowledge of the truth. Of Christ. Faith involves the knowledge of the, of the object of faith. The object of faith has to be Christ. A firm persuasion of the gospel by the Holy Spirit. It's not conjured up, it's not principle. It's real, it's true. It's, it's, it's persuade, you're persuaded by the Holy Spirit. It's a firm relying on the confidence or assurance in what is known. Faith can't operate necessarily out of not knowing. You need to know the object of your faith. That's revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And there's a personal trust that occurs in this. See, God's divine persuasion is distinct from human belief. It's beyond our mental assent. 
yet it involves it. It's always received from God and never generated by us. See, acknowledging, just acknowledging and having a firm belief that God is real and that he is God is not what saves any believer. You're not saved because you believe in Christ necessarily. There is more to saving, to the saving belief or real faith. It is paramount that we have a good handle of this. We know this. We need to know this. What is dead faith? What faith leads to salvation? The Bible is clear that for someone to be saved, they must have saving faith. This saving faith is the instrument, it's the means by which salvation is received through Christ. When we think about faith, we must recognize that it's not the basis. It's not the basis by which we are saved. It's the means, it's the instrument. It's how we are saved by Jesus. The means of salvation rather than the basis. Jesus' work on the cross is sufficient for our salvation. It is finished, he cried out on the cross. It's done, it's finished. He has accomplished the work. The Holy Spirit regenerates the heart of a believer and causes us to believe. When you are born again, the Holy Spirit grants faith and repentance as a gift. We're given this wonderful gift of repentance to repent and turn from our ways. Make a U-turn. Walk away from your sins. It's a gift. Faith comes as a gift from God and it's not a work that is done by you to be born again. Faith is not works. That is why we are unable to boast. We're unable to boast that I chose God or I believe in God because I, it's me, 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 out of my own volition, out of my own choice. That's not true faith. If it's I chose God. When the Bible says we must believe in Jesus or believe in your heart and you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. This is not saying a mere assent. It's not just an approval of that Jesus saves. No, what such passages are saying is the how, how are you saved? By believing. How Jesus saves you is not the grounds by which Jesus, so how the grounds is, is, is that what Jesus has achieved are not the means, which is faith. Jesus saves through faith. It is all a work of grace. See, Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith is the product of the regeneration work of the Holy Spirit to apply the work of Christ to our lives, to the heart. Not just here, but to the heart. We have nothing to do with it at all. See, sometime we will tell whether Jordan Peterson is an outcry. You can almost hear in his voice this tenderness but it's not there. Well, time will tell if he comes to saving faith. But how can we tell that we, are, we have saving faith? How can we tell what is not saving faith? What does the Bible 
have to say to help us with this question? Let's look at verse 14 of our main text. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? See, James has a deep concern for those who profess. They profess to have faith. They profess to, have, to be a Christian, but have no good works. Note he writes, if someone says, if someone says he has faith, make a note of says he has faith. If you claim to be a Christian, profess to be a Christian, attend in your local church, but have no works, can that faith save you? Is the question. There is no eternal profit or eternal good in professing to have faith and no resulting works. That is not saving faith. James addresses those who say they are Christians. They say, I have faith in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. They may even live to the outside as Christians. The hypocrisy is that they are in dead faith. They're living by dead faith. Can that faith save him, James says? Meaning, can the faith the individual claims to have save them? James is questioning that faith, that faith they're professing, which does not result in good works. A mere belief in God does not cause a transformed life. Jordan Peterson believes in God in principle. James is referring to works as being the product of being justified, made right with God. You stand before God as just. That is what justified is. And saved in Christ, not as the cause of salvation. James is referring to works as being the product of being justified and saved in Christ, not as the cause of salvation. We'll look at this next time in detail. When we look at Abraham, we look at Rahab and what their faith says. See, true faith will always result in good works, works that flow from the faith in Jesus, which demonstrate a transformed life and reflects the finished work of Christ that he's doing in you and through you. See, the focus is that all those who profess to have faith, but that faith that produces no works is dead. What good is it? What benefit is it? It's useless, verse 20 says. That faith is useless. What is your, what's the object of your faith this morning? Who are you believing in? What is being revealed here is that true faith is more than what you say. Our words, they reveal what's in the heart, but the faith that's in you is more than what you say. If you look at verse 15 to 17, James illustrates what professional faith can look like. This is more than likely an event that may have occurred. It certainly is possible within the context of these early Christians, right? And certainly even now in our church, right? In, in most churches. It says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, 
be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, brothers and sisters here refers to those of the household of faith, brother and sister in Christ. It is evident this person is possibly falling to hard times. They're struggling. They're clothed in rags. Right? They are physically lean, malnutritioned, not having the daily things they need, the, 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 essence, the essential daily needs. They may lack regular food, regular meals. Their health may be affected as a result of this. Their basic needs are not being met. They can't make ends meet. This person is in a terrible way. Tomorrow looks bleak, looks hopeless. See, note the response of this brother or sister. Go in peace. Be warmed and filled. Sounds like a great blessing, right? Go in peace. Be warmed and filled. Just what the person wants to hear, right? That's what we want to hear when we're in dire straits, when we're struggling. See, is the prayer, is this blessing a right response? Some people may say yes. Are these words the right or wrong thing to say? Most people would say the words are not necessarily wrong. It's a blessing here, right? But but we all know there's something missing here. Something's missing. This person demonstrates a lack of empathy, a lack of compassion. This is someone that's moved, not, it's not moved to pray fervently, not moved to action, not moved to meet the needs of others. So rather, this, someone, this is someone covering up their heart's refusal. It's really just a cover-up because they, they don't really want to help that person. So they, oh, bless you. Go in faith. Peace be unto you. It's a refusal for their heart to refuse to assist and to meet the need of this person that so desperately needs it. See, there is no good, no profit in such blessings or prayers. If you have the means and you're unwilling to help, how can you say God's love resides in you, resides in your heart? We love not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's 1 John 3. True faith is more than what we say. See, we can come to church every Sunday and pretend to one another, right? It's so easy to. We've got the Christian knees on lock. I know what to say. How are you doing, brother? I'm good. Oh, it's been a blessed week. It's been awesome. Struggling inside, right? Well, some people wear their hearts on their sleeve. Oh, it's, it's, it's been a terrible week, you know? Oh, this week. If you knew what's happened, and you're listening, you're listening. Imagine you just said to them, wow, bro, peace be to you. Go in peace. <laughs> Have a great week next week. <laughs> Imagine that. What's really in our heart? What's here? <laughs> it's more than what we say. 
See, what you profess is useless unless it changes your behaviour, your actions. Debt faith causes no transformation of the heart at all. The heart that is void of the Holy Spirit, promised by Jesus, who reveals and gives understanding and applies a word of truth, is not able to live a transformed life. It's void of the Holy Spirit. How can we obey God's commands? See, just a caution here. We're talking about works, we're talking about what dead faith is, what is true faith, right? Sometimes in helping people, we get it wrong, or certain things happen, right? So, I remember there was a gentleman, because I used to be part of a prison ministry, and I I knew he struggled, he he struggled with alcohol, Um, and there's one time after church, right, he he was looking for this other brother that was mentoring him, and you could tell he was struggling, he needed food certainly, right? But also, it's like he was waiting because this, this mentor said that, you know, after church I'd meet up with you, but he was held up. He was maybe evangelizing, talking to everyone at church, right? And time was going. So I saw him outside. I said, hey, bro, what's happening? He told me his story. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Let's go to the cash point, right? So got some money out for him. And um, lo and behold, he said, best, best prayer for me. He's like, yeah, bro, thank you so much. You met my need. Following week, I was speaking to the, his mentor. I said, bro, did you, um, did you give him money last week? I said, yeah, yeah. he said that he, he needed it. I said, bro, you know that. His it, whole week he's been drinking. <laughs> All week he's been drunk. And I thought, oh, wow, um, why did I do that? Sometimes in meeting needs, we, we don't know what's going to happen, right? But you'd be amazed to know that have been, I've fallen short even more times. You must continue sharing and, and being a witness and whatever the cost is, meeting people's needs. Because you don't know. It's not just about what may happen. Meet that need. Meet that need. See, we've looked at what you profess, but even what you believe is not evidence of true faith. Look at verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You believe that God is one. This is referring to Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Demons believe in the Trinity. Demons believe God is one. See, mental assent, head knowledge of Christian faith does not save. Demons believe in God. We believe in God. Demons even believe that Jesus is Son of God. If we remember in Matthew 8, when Jesus was driving out the demons in those two guys, they cried out. What did they cry out? What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They know what's coming. See, knowledge about God is in stark contrast to knowing God. 
Some of us have been reading, we've all read that book, Knowing God, right? It's an amazing book. Because it's teaching us that we need to spend time knowing the object of our faith. It's not just a mental ascent, it's not just knowing about him. But in order to be transformed, we must know who he is. We must live close. We must be drawn to his presence. We must embrace the truth of Christ and live by it. That's when head knowledge is transmitted to here. See, true faith is more than what you believe. It's more than what you say. It's more than what you believe. So if, the, if, if true faith is not just what we profess, and if it's, not, if it's more than what we believe, how do you, how do you and I, how do we know we have true faith? How do you know that you are right with God? How do I know I am right with God? How do I know I have been made just in his sight before the holy God that my sins have been forgiven and I'm standing righteous before God? These are questions that we want to answer as we look at the second point. True faith is revealed by good works. The work of Jesus is the basis of salvation. What is clear? What, what is a clear way to know that I am right with God? See, Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for righteousness? Are you hungry for more of God? Are you hungry for righteousness? That's the question that's posed here. Having a right standing with God. In that passage, Jesus is likening true faith with hungering. Hungering for righteousness. I want more of God. I want to live right before God. I want God to know me. I want to know God. I want to be known by God. See, the hungry, this, the scripture says, Jesus is saying that the hungry are satisfied by Jesus. Why? Because he is the bread of life. Come down to nourish us. He is the way. He is the living water that quenches our thirst. Are you living in true faith? Do you seek these things? To understand what James means by works, we must first take a look at Ephesians 2, 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. True believers are God's workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are created in Christ. This is speaking of the new birth, the new creation. In Christ Jesus, the basis of our salvation. Faith is the means. Jesus is the basis. We need to be made new spiritually. Once dead spiritually, but now we are alive in Christ. That is the new birth. See, when we are created in Christ for good works, this context speaks of being born again, but he's talking about this newness in Christ for a purpose. 
This purpose is good works. But what are these good works still, we ask? These good works have been ordained by God beforehand that we should walk in them. It is a major mistake to perceive works as only acts of service. Yes, works include these, but there are numerous, numerous works that Christian has true faith, lives by and proceeds in. All the good works that we are to do are from God. They've been ordained before time, right? And it's God, I love the scripture, God that works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. His pleasure and his glory. It's all about the glory of God. It's all about the glory of God. See, true faith causes a believer to live a transformed life. That's the good works. That's the good works. A transformed life. It's not just what you believe that constitutes true faith. See, in the last census, the deadline, I hope everyone knows this today, right? The last census, 2011, 33.2 million people in England and Wales professed to be Christians. That's almost 60% of the population. Astonishing. We know that's not true. (laughs) We see people around us, right? There's a lot of nominal Christians. That's the reality. That's a lot. See, it's more than what you say that illustrates true faith. Being a nice person doesn't make you new. Being sincere doesn't make you saved. It doesn't. Right? We know this. It's more than the acts of charity that you do. You don't need to be a Christian to, to, to give to the poor or to have that empathy. Right? These works are done in us to form Christ in us. See, these are works also that are done through us by the Holy Spirit to be channels, as we've been learning in Jude, to be channels for other people. From God, for us to be the channel, to be a blessing to others. See, though faith manifests itself via action, it comes because of God's work in us. God's changing our hearts, breaking us down in whatever way he wills, to conform us to Christ, to cause us to suffer, to make us like Christ, to cause us to persevere when we face opposition, to test our faith, James says from the get-go. The test of our faith. See, James replies, right? So if we read again, James chapter 2, 18 to 20. He says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So James is addressing the person who claims to have faith, that have works without faith. They say, you have works, you have faith, I have works. So James then replies, he says, show me your faith. I want to see your faith. Don't try and pull a fast one over me. He's saying, who are you believing in? 
On whose account are you doing those works you claim? Are those even works? Because I can't see your faith. Since let me show you my faith by my works. That's what he's proclaiming. See, we're reminded of the words of Jesus at his sermon again on the mount. Matthew 7, 16 to 17 says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but diseased trees bears bad fruit. See, Jesus is saying, you are recognized by the fruit. It's the fruit. See, a good fruit comes from a healthy or good tree. A bad fruit is the product of a diseased tree, a dead tree, dead faith. In the same person, in the same way a person with true faith will bear good fruit, you will see by their fruits. Saving faith bears fruit of a transformed life. How do you know you are Christian? Christian. Jesus did many signs, right? Some of them were recorded, some of them weren't recorded. But every sign pointed to the kingdom where who he is pointed to the kingdom of God. He pointed to the fact that he is God. Every sign was just not a miracle to be marveled at, but to point from where he is from. Jesus from above come down to save sinners, to renew, to change, to heal, to open eyes, spiritual eyes. They speak of spiritual things. Eyes being opened to see again, like the blind man that can see. Look at those trees. Look at what's around. Transform life. He was blind, spiritually blind. But Jesus gave, made some clay, put it on his eyes. His eyes were open. Now he can see differently. He can live a different life, a transformed life. He can walk in a different way. No more stumbling. Where am I? Not relying on other people only Relying now on sight because he, Jesus has given them sight, revealed the truth of God. What signs in your life demonstrate that you have faith in Jesus? Have you repented of your sins? Do you ask God for forgiveness of your sins? Are you recognizing when you are in sin? Do you quickly run to God? Or do you hide? Do you bury your head in the sand when things get too much? Are you currently trusting in Jesus now? Not about yesterday. Now. Pastor often says, are you trusting Jesus now? It's important. We don't look to past glories. Are you living now, righteously before God? How are you living is it transformed or not? Do you know about the work of Jesus? And are you grateful? Because thanksgiving, thankfulness is a sign. Are you thankful for what Christ has done? How you were before? What he's doing in your life? The hope of glory to come. See, ticking the Christian box in the census is not what saves us. doesn't mean that we're saved. Jesus, James throughout the chapter one, and now in chapter two, is very much concerned regarding faith of these early Christians and us now. 
James wants his readers to see what a life of faith looks like. We've looked through this over the last couple of years, right? But let's look at it again. If we cast our eyes over James 1, we see in verse 1, he talks about being a servant of God. Servanthood. And having Lord, Jesus Christ as Lord over one's life. That is a sign of true faith. Recognizing that you have been saved now to be a servant of Christ. To live for Christ. That's how James lived. He was the half-brother of Jesus. But he's saying, put that aside, I'm a servant of Christ. First one again, he acknowledges the lordship of Jesus in his life and over him. He lives in such a way to say that Jesus is my Lord. Like Nathan said, Nathaniel said, my Lord, my God. Oh, Philip. Verse 2, we see that true faith is characterized by joy in whatever circumstances. It says we will go through many trials, but he says count it all joy. When we have Jesus as our joy, the person, that, the one that personifies joy, whatever we're going through, we look to him. That's signs of true faith. We grow in enjoying and knowing that he's working in us. It is appointed to us both to believe and to suffer. That's what believing in Christ entails, to believe and suffer. We see in verse 2, again, that the true faith is tested. True faith is tested, and then it produces steadfastness in the face of trials, a work of God to preserve his own, to keep us. We fall, the pain is much but he engages us with strength, provides that sure foundation that we stand firm in Christ. We see in verse 5, we ask in faith for wisdom. When we face trials, when we don't understand what's going on, people are saying, what's going on? They're saying, where is your God? We stand firm in that. But yet we call out to God and say, God, give me wisdom. I don't even know why I'm going through this. But that prayer, he says, will be answered if it's without doubting. You seek the Lord in prayer with unwavering faith. Verse 9 to 11 says, and talks about the true faith, boast in Christ and not in riches. Speaks to the lowly brother and the rich man. He talks about how true riches is inheriting the kingdom of God. It's not about our, the things we acquire, the material world, what's here, what's now, what will fade. He's talking about true riches. And at the cross, the cross of God is where the lowly man and the rich man find a leveling ground. At the feet of Jesus on the cross, crucified for our sins. I love this song that says, My worth is not my own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. 
My worth is not in skill or name, in will, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul, and I will trust in no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. As summer flowers we fade and die, fame, youth, and beauty hurry by. But life eternal calls to us at the cross. I will not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom fleeting light, but I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross, at the cross. See, verse 17 says, a transformed life acknowledges and recognizes all that he or she, all she or she, she had, he or she has is a gift from God. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Verse 18 says, the word of truth that calls us forth is able to save our souls. It's the will of God to bring about a change in people's lives and sinners like us by calling us out by the word of truth, the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Christ is what changes hearts. See, verse 19 says, a changed heart is quick to hear, slow to speak, Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. These are signs of true faith working in us, a transformed life. Verse 21 says, Puts away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. We are eager to not return to our old life. We recognize that in the past that we are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Old things have passed. I am new in Christ. We put away the rampant wickedness, the way, old ways, old man. And we have received Christ in our lives. We have been clothed with his righteousness. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. See, verse 22 to 25 says... A life that lives by true faith not only hears the word, but acts out of the word of God. Not hearers only, but doers of God's word. When we look into God's word, we reflect and we see, I am not like this. The Holy Spirit helps us to say, I want to live like that. We want to do what God says, his commandments, because we love him. Those are signs of a true Christian, true faith. Verse 26 says, true faith governs the heart and therefore the speech of a believer, what we say. We've spoken about before that it's not just, we're not, it's not just the, what we say because we can say a lot of things, right? But yes, even the speech that we offer, the things we say, it's, it's, it, shows, it shows who is in us. It shows the true faith. It shows where we're at in Christ. Our speech matters. It betrays what's in the heart. See, verse 27 then goes and says that 
True faith witnesses the love and light of Christ to the vulnerable and weak in society. We see this in the orphans and the widows. And keeps oneself unstained. So even in our acts of service, we are unstained from the world. We don't mix with the world in the sense that we don't allow the world to pollute our minds and our hearts. It doesn't mean we don't have friends and not saved. It means that our hearts are surrendered to Christ. James chapter 2 says, it says, that true faith shows no partiality. That's verse 1 to 7. That's always we talked about this before. It shows no favoritism. And that verse 8 says that true faith will cause you to love your neighbor. That's the royal law we learned about last time. And finally, we see verse 10 to 13, that true faith rests in Jesus' fulfillment of the law. We can't obey the law because even when we... We break one, we break all the laws, but Jesus has come to fulfill the law. That's the work he has done. The law of liberty is a new covenant that believers live by. That's what we live by if we profess in true faith. And it's revealed in Christ. So these are just to name a few of some of the ways our lives should indicate that we are, work, that we are living in true faith. See, Romans 12 there's a whole list there. I would encourage you to read just what the marks of a true Christian is. Do you see this transformed life in relation to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22? When he talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Against such there is no law. Self-control, there is no law. Against such there is no law. Am I saying that you must have all these signs in your life? Yes and no. That's the truth. We are inconsistent. We sin. Surely we, we mess up. We get things so wrong. Christians don't have it all together. But Jesus has us all together. He keeps us all together. Right? It's all him. He holds us together. The world expects Christians to be perfect now. We Christians ourselves, we, we demand perfection now. But really, we are to be perfected. God is working in us. But we don't willfully continue to sin. We don't willfully sin, right? At the very core is a hunger and thirst, as we were saying earlier on, for righteousness. A longing to please God. We want to live for him. We just want to please God and say, this is how, this is what God expects for me. This is how I should live. So in as we close, is that you? Is that you? It is the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify a believer. The process of making us more and more like Jesus. When we look at chapter 1 verse 4 again, it says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. It is God's work to bring you to perfection. It is your, God's work, uh, work to bring you to him as a perfect person, right? He is the one that completes that. It's when you get to lacking in nothing, he justifies, he sanctifies. He's the one that cleanses us of our sins. And he brings him 
before him in glory. It's, it's his work to keep us along the way. But the transformed life recognizes that I am not what I once was. John Newton, an old slave trader who was later converted and became a Christian, a preacher of the gospel, in fact, he says this in his later years, I am not what I ought to be. Ah, I'm how imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I harbour what is evil and I would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon shall I put off mortality and with mortality all sin and imperfection. Yet though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I want to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was. A slave to sin, a slave to Satan. And then I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. What faith saves? The kind of faith that is given as a gift by God to sinners like us. By the grace of God, through faith, the means, not our own. And it's appropriated to us by the Holy Spirit. This is the grace that makes us who we are. By grace we stand, by grace alone. 